0: Book One: The Family Council Chapter two b of A Family of Noblemen by Mikhail Saltikov Shedrin translated by Avram Yarmolinsky eighteen ninety to nineteen seventy five This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Book I The Family Council Chapter two b Porfiry Vladimirych was known in the family by three nicknames, Yudushka, diminutive of Judas, Bloodsucker, and Goody-goody-boy, which had been invented by simple Simon. From his early childhood Porfiry had been oddly intent upon currying favor with his dear mamma, and showed a tendency to play the sycophant. He would open the door of his mother's room softly, creep noiselessly into a corner, and sit there as if entranced, with his eyes fixed on his mother while she wrote or busied herself with accounts even in those days arina petrovna regarded her son's efforts to insinuate himself into her good graces with vague suspicion his stare puzzled her she could not decide what his eyes expressed whether venom or filial reverence i cannot make out what is in his eyes she sometimes argued with herself his glance is like a noose which he is getting ready to throw he might look like that handing a person poison or enticing him into a pitfall in this connection she often recollected highly significant details of the time she was carrying porfisha an old man called porfisha the saint was at that time living in the manor he had the reputation of a seer and arina petrovna turned to him whenever she wanted to learn something about the future she had asked him when she would be delivered of the child and whether it would be a boy or a girl but the pious old man gave no direct answer instead he crowed three times like a cock and then mumbled cockerel cockerel sharp claw the cock crows and threatens the brood hen the brood hen clock clock but it will be too late that was all he said three days later the seer crowed three times arina petrovna gave birth to a son cockerel cockerel and named him porphyry in honour of the old soothsayer the first half of the prophecy had been fulfilled but what could be the hidden meaning of the mysterious words the brood-hand cluck cluck but it will be too late arina petrovna often pondered over it whenever her eyes fell on porphyshia who sat in his nook with his enigmatic gaze fixed on her. Meanwhile, Porfisha kept on staring, quiet and meek, staring so intently that his wide-open, motionless eyes began to swim in tears, as if he vaguely sensed the doubts that tormented his mother's soul and wished to behave so as to disarm her most persistent suspicion. At the risk of annoying his mother, he constantly hovered about her, and the expression in his eyes seemed to say look at me i conceal nothing from you i am all obedience and devotion and mind you i am obedient and devoted not only from fear but also from loyalty and although an inner voice constantly sounded warning that the young scoundrel was dangerous in spite of his wheedling and fawning her heart could not resist such unremitting devotion and her hand involuntarily felt for the best piece in the dish to bestow upon the affectionate child and yet the very sight of him at times awakened a vague fear of something puzzling and eerie the exact opposite of porphyry was his brother pavel the most perfect embodiment of absolute passivity as a boy he manifested no inclination whatever for study or games or playing with other boys but liked to keep to himself he would get into a corner, pout, and set to work building air castles, dreaming that he had gorged himself with oatmeal so that his legs had become thin and he had no lessons to learn, or else that he was Davidka, the shepherd, with a growing lump on his forehead just like David's, and cracked a whip and had no lessons to learn. Arina Petrovna would gaze at him for a long time, and then her motherly feelings would well up. Why do you sit there like a mouse on groats, she would scold, is the poison working in you already why don't you come over to your mother and say Mamenka, darling hug me pavel would leave his place of refuge and slowly approach his mother as if someone were pushing him from behind Mamenka, darling he would repeat in a base voice unnatural in a child hug me get out of my sight you sneak you think if you get into your corner i don't understand you are mistaken my darling i see through and through you your plans and projects are as clear as if they were spread on the palm of my hand and pavel would just as slowly retrace his steps and bury himself again in his corner years passed by and pavel vladimirych gradually developed that apathetic unaccountably gloomy character which often goes with absolute passivity he was perhaps good but he had done nobody any good he was perhaps not without some intelligence but he had not achieved anything intelligent in his life he was hospitable but people did not like to avail themselves of his hospitality he spent money readily but nothing good or pleasant came of his lavishness to anybody he never harmed anybody but that was not considered a merit he was honest but no one had ever heard it said how honourably pavel golovliov dealt in that affair It must be added that sometimes not often he snarled at his mother although he feared her like poison i repeat he was an ill-tempered person but back of his moroseness was nothing but sheer inertness when the brothers reached maturity the difference in their characters was most conspicuous in their relation to their mother yudushka punctually every week sent a lengthy epistle to mother dear in which he informed her in the greatest detail of all the minutiae of his life in st petersburg and assured her of his disinterested filial devotion in the most carefully selected terms as for pavel he wrote rarely laconically and sometimes even enigmatically pulling every word out of himself with a pair of tongs as it were my adorable friend and dear mother is what porfiry vladimirich wrote for instance i have received the money from the peasant yarafeyev and i send you my most heartful thanks for forwarding the sum which according to your gracious wish dearest Mamenka, is to be spent for my maintenance i also kiss your hands with sincere filial devotion what worries and grieves me is the thought that you are straining your precious health all too much by your ceaseless efforts to satisfy not only our needs but our whims as well i don't know what brother thinks but i etc etc as for pavel what he wrote on a similar occasion was dear mother am in receipt of the money and according to my calculations you still owe six and a half rubles for which i beg to be graciously forgiven when arina petrovna wrote reprimanding the children for their extravagance she did so rather frequently although there was no serious necessity for it Porfisha invariably received her rebukes submissively and replied i am well aware my dearest friend and mother that you bear the heaviest burdens for the sake of us your unworthy children i know that often our behaviour does not justify your motherly solicitude and what is worse erring humans that we are we often forget it for which i apologise most devotedly and sincerely in the hope that in the course of time i will overcome my weakness and be more prudent in my expenditure of the funds that you send my adorable friend and mother for my maintenance and for other purposes pavel would answer back dearest mother though you have not as yet paid any of my debts i accept most submissively the name of spendthrift which you choose to bestow upon me whereof i beg most sincerely to accept my assurance even the replies that the brothers made to the letter announcing the death of their sister, Anna Vladimirovna, were quite different from each other. Porfiry Vladimirych said, The news of the death of my dear sister and good playmate, Anna Vladimirovna, has filled my heart with sorrow. A sorrow aggravated by the thought that a new cross has been given you to bear, dearest little mother, in the shape of two little orphans is it not sufficient that you common benefactress to us all deny yourself everything and without sparing your health concentrate all your power on the sole object of assuring the family not only the necessaries of life but also the luxuries believe me it is a wicked thing to do but now and then i confess i cannot refrain from grumbling As far as I can see, the only solace for you, my dearest, in this state of affairs is to remember as often as you can all that Christ himself had to undergo Pavel's reply ran the news of my sister who has fallen a victim I have received. I hope, however, that the most high will rest her in his celestial tent, although this is uncertain. Arina Petrovna reading these letters would try to guess which of the two sons would be her destruction at times she felt certain the danger was coming from porfiry vladimirych look how he wags his tongue a rather a regular fiend at writing she would exclaim simple simon's nickname suits to a t Yudushka. not a word of truth in all this stuff about my burdens my cross and the rest sheer lies not an ounce of feeling in his heart at other times pavel vladimirych seemed to be her real enemy a fool and yet look how deftly he tries to make love to mother on the sly whereof i beg most sincerely to accept my assurance wait a while i'll teach you what accept assurances means i shall deal with you as i did with simple simon and you'll find out what i mean by your assurances in the end a truly tragical cry would burst from her lips and for whom am i hoarding all this wealth for whom am i gathering all this i deny myself sleep and food for whom such were the domestic circumstances of the golovliofs at the time that the bailiff anton Vasilyov, reported to arina petrovna that simple simon had dissipated the bone flung to him which in view of its loss might now be called with especial significance the parental blessing arina petrovna sat in her bedroom all her senses dazed a vague unaccountable feeling stirred within her whether pity born suddenly and miraculously for her hated offspring who after all was her son or whether merely thwarted despotism the most expert psychologist would have been unable to decide her sensations were utterly confused and succeeded each other with bewildering swiftness finally out of the welter of her thoughts there crystallized one emotion the fear that the horrid creature would again be hanging round her neck. Anyutka has forced her whelps on me, and now this dunderhead is coming here, she pondered deeply. Long she sat silent, her eyes fixed and intent. Dinner was brought in, but she hardly touched it. A servant came and said the master wanted brandy. Without looking up, she threw him the keys of the storeroom. After the meal, she ordered the bath to be prepared for her. Then she went into the oratory, ordered all the image lamps to be lit, and shut herself in. These were all clear signs that the mistress was in a temper, and so the house turned as quiet as a courtyard. The chambermaids walked on tiptoe, Aculina, the housekeeper ran back and forth like a lunatic. The preparations for preserving had been set for after dinner, the berries had been rinsed and made ready, but the mistress gave no orders either to go ahead or to wait the gardener matvey came to ask whether it was time to gather the peaches but such was his reception in the maid's room that he fled precipitately prayers and bath over arina petrovna felt almost reconciled with the world and had the bailiff summoned again now tell me what is the numskull doing she asked well moscow is big it would take more than a year to walk through it but he needs something to fill his stomach with doesn't he Our peasants feed him. He eats with one, gets money for tobacco from another. And who permits them to give him anything? Goodness me, madam, the people don't complain. They give alms to strangers. Should they refuse a mite to their own master's son? I'll teach them to give mites. I'll have the blockhead deported to your estate, and the community will have to maintain him at its own expense. As you command, madam. What? What did you say? As you command, my lady if you order it we shall feed him that's better but talk sensibly a pause ensued then the bailiff true to his nature and his nickname lost patience and began to shift from one leg to another obviously burning with the desire to unburden his mind of something he's a clever one though he finally blurted out people say he brought back a hundred roubles from the campaign it isn't a fortune but still one can live on it for a time Well? He thought he might improve his situation and went in for a shady business. Go on, go on, and don't give me any lies. He went to the German club. He thought he would find a fool to beat at cards, but instead he happened on a cunning hawk. He tried to get away, but was held up in the lobby. Of course he was plucked clean. I suppose he was roughly handled, too. Of course. The next morning he came to our man, Ivan Mikhailitch, and told the tale himself. It's queer, he was in high spirits, and laughed as if they had treated him like a lord. Things run from him like water off a duck's back, but I won't grieve over it, provided he does not come within sight of me. But I believe he will. Nonsense, I will not allow him to cross my threshold. But I'm sure he will, insisted Anton Vasilyov. He said so in plain words to Ivan Mikhailovich. Enough, he says. I'm going back to the old woman to eat her dry crusts. And, madam, to speak the truth, where can he lay his head but here? He cannot keep on forever feeding on our men in Moscow, and besides, he needs clothing and comforts. That was exactly the thing Arina Petrovna dreaded. It was the very essence of the obscure thought that had so deeply alarmed her. Yes, he will turn up, she said to herself. He has no other place to go to. There's no doubt of it. He would always be there within her sight that accursed, hated stranger of a son. What had been the good of throwing his portion to him? She had thought that, having received his due, he would drop into eternity, and there he was, rising from the dead. He would come, make insolent demands, and hang on like a leech, shocking everybody by his beggarly appearance. And she would have to meet his demands because he was a brazen-faced bully, capable of any violence. You cannot put such a man under restraint, he is capable of parading in tatters before strangers of the wildest debauchery of running away to the neighbours and telling them the ins and outs of the family affairs should she have him deported to the Suzdal monastery which was said to be a place for ridding parents in distress of the sight of their refractory children but the lord knows whether that fabulous institution existed at all people said there were such things as houses of correction but how could one get an overgrown dolt into one of them in short arina petrovna was altogether upset by the thought of how the arrival of simple simon was going to disturb her peaceful existence i shall billet him upon you was her threat to the bailiff feed him at your own expense why so madam because you stand there croaking he's sure to come she mimicked get out of my sight you raven anton vasilyov turned to go "'But Irina Petrovna stopped him. "'Wait a minute. "'Is it true that he is starting out for Golovliovo?' "'I'm not in the habit of telling lies, madam. "'He said so plainly. "'I am going back to the old woman to eat her dry crusts. "'He'll soon find out what kind of crust the old woman has prepared for him. "'But, madam, he won't live with you long. "'Why not? "'Well, madam, he coughs very badly "'and keeps on clutching the left side of his chest. "'He won't live long.' That kind generally lives very long. He'll outlive us all. The coughing doesn't hurt him. Well, we shall see about it later. Leave me now. I have several matters to attend to. Arina Petrovna spent the whole evening pondering over this problem. Finally she found it best to convoke the family council for the purpose of deciding what was to be done with simple Simon. Such constitutionalism was not her habit. She made up her mind to digress from the traditions of autocracy solely for the purpose of shielding herself from public censure, and as she did not doubt the outcome of the conference, she sat down with a light heart to write to Porfiry and Pavel asking them to come to Golovliovo immediately. End of chapter two recording by expatriate in Bangor, Maine.